it's one of those things, no matter how well you plan it, there's always going to be kinks. It's, it's just sure. constant change. Well, it's aviation, even, even here, it's, it's constant change. Welcome, everyone, to the Business Aviation Collective podcast sponsored by LD Aviation Services. Today, we get to speak to one of our own. It's Ryan Thompson, and he is our head international dispatcher. He has a ton of international background, including Spire and Journeys and Hertz. Welcome, Ryan. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate this. Well, we're so excited to get to know you a little bit more. and. I, for one, and in fact, the entire LZ Aviation team is so happy to be have you on the team with us. And we just wanted to get to know you a little bit better and wanted to start off with, how did you even get into aviation? Well, I guess my first real exposure to aviation, I was about 12 years old. Every spring, we'd go on vacation over Easter to the Outer Banks of North Carolina and this spring, we went to the Wright Brothers Airport, where they have a museum, a small little runway. And back in those days, you could still operate a small Cessna 172 for, say, a, a, a commercial operation. I think the flight costs like $12 per person mm-hmm. for myself, my brother, and my cousin that was on vacation with us. Nice. And so we did the Rochambeau to see who we get in the front seat. You know, rock, paper, scissors. Yeah. And I won. I got to sit in the front seat. Uh, All right. And I was so ecstatic, you know, taking off in a small plane. Never been in, that was my first flight ever. I hadn't been in a commercial airline or anything up until that point. Wow. And from that point on, it was just, every time I saw a plane fly over, I stopped and look up. That was our first real exposure to aviation. I'd break on our local airport. I grew up in rural Virginia, a small town actually called Farmville. Okay. So I'd go out to that airport all the time, I'd watch airplanes there. And then I went to the went to the military and actually worked on a flight deck of an aircraft carrier for several years, um, working as an aircraft handler, you know, wow. um, shocking and chaining airplanes, moving them, ran the aircraft elevators for a while on the side of the ship and eventually worked my way into where I worked in flight deck control. And I don't know if you were seeing on the flight deck level on flight deck control, there's a layout of the whole flight deck. And we had these little wood cutouts of each plane that had the individual plane number on deck and we would track them that way. So the officer in charge of the flight deck could see the movements and have a visual of what was going on. Down below that, we had a layout of the hangar deck, exact same thing. And that, that was a really good experience for me to be in the Navy and, and doing that. Wow. Okay. So I have like uh, yeah. five questions about that. <laughs> so you worked on the flight deck of the carrier. This is like, so I don't have a lot of military or I have zero military experience. So all I'm thinking Top Gun, like you're on the flight deck and you're watching these airplanes take off and land. Is that? Well, I look nothing like Tom Cruise though. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. Uh, um, so go ahead with your question. I'm sorry. Well, yeah, I mean, is that so that's what the environment you were there and you were watching. I mean, you must have been really up close to these airplanes taking off and landing. Very much so. And it's one of the loudest experiences you can have when well, what a lot of people don't realize is when the the aircraft, you know, CNF-14 lines up, they don't use them anymore. But they did when I was in the Navy, 
they line up on the catapult and they go to full power once they're hooked up. And they sit there at full power while they do all their checks for about 30 seconds. So being 20 feet from F-14 at full power, yeah, I, I wore you know, the earmuffs, you know, the cranial headset, uh-huh. and then I would wear earplugs on top of that. And still it was almost unbearably loud. Wow. Uh, so, yeah. And what then, a rush, though, to be right there by that. Yeah, it was, like it was super exciting. You know, we had to go through training. You know, the planes are so close together. You don't really walk behind them. You have to learn how to go under them. To If you go from one part of the flight deck up to the other, you have to learn how to go under the airplanes You know, while they're sitting still to not get blown over by the jet blast, learn where not to go. You definitely don't want to be have being between the edge of the deck and an airplane. Because you could get blown overboard. Blown overboard. Okay. Yeah. yeah I hadn't yeah. thought about that. That sounds yeah. like a uh, real concern. Yes. Yeah. It, but it was a really good experience. You know, I did, I was uh, uh, based on the East Coast carrier. I did um, two Mediterranean cruises. So I got to see, you know, as a young, young adult, 18 years old, I got to see Italy, France, Greece, a couple of Greek islands. So, oh. you know, that was a really good experience as a, as a, as a young adult to do. That is so cool. And so then from there, you transitioned up into the flight deck. And am I understanding correctly? I mean, there you're talking actual little wooden model airplanes that you were moving around on a board. So that's like the whiteboard that a lot of us use in scheduling, but it was a military, I guess. Exactly. Style. Yeah. And we, we would track them. There was windows on the side of the, the compartment we were in on the flight deck level, but for the most part, it was inside the, the, the island superstructure. So we had a set of cameras mounted on top of the island, and then we'd have a guy up in what we called the crow's nest on the backside of the island with a pair of binoculars in case the cameras couldn't find it or we lost track of a plane. The radio would call up and say, hey, where's the, uh, where's this, you know, 742? We can't find it and try to keep track of it. So it, huh. it was, yeah, it was for one, one person to keep up with that. It was, it was pretty, pretty challenging to learn the skill. I bet. Yeah. And so then you had the one, you had the depiction of where the aircraft were in the air, but you also had a depiction of where the aircraft were like down below on the deck. Yes. Yeah, so okay. the planes in the air were controlled by the air boss within kind of think of a class Delta airport, you know, there's a five mile ring around the ship, wherever it was. Mm-hmm. And the air boss was the flight deck or not the flight deck, the air traffic controller with this team controlling the airplanes in the air. We were controlling the aircraft actually on the deck. Once they landed, anytime between the, when they land and when they take off is where we would track them. Because yeah, okay. you, you think it's 70 some planes on a, a, a ship, it's a large ship, but still 70 some planes. It's, it's really tight environment. So you really had to learn how to coordinate and choreograph how to make those planes move together, make everything flow. So you'd always keep the catapults open, the landing area clear and make sure that you know, nothing got boggled up and yeah. congested to where you couldn't function. Wow. That is so interesting. Yeah. yeah, I guess I never really thought about it. You just watch Top Gun and I think, oh, it all just yeah. works out smoothly and super easily. But we forget about the people on the ground you yeah, know, making sure things smooth. Yeah, a lot of people had to work together to make that happen. Oh, I bet. Interesting. Okay. Sorry. So I had to ask those couple questions. <laughs> so from there, keep going. Where did What else did you do? So after that, um, I moved on. I failed the Navy. I, you know, worked with my uncle doing kind of like uh, renovations, like home renovations. Yeah. And kind of, I always wanted to go to college. So eventually, um, 
got the GI Bill for me in the Navy, so I went to Old Dominion University, which is down in the Hampton Roads area, close to where I was stationed in the Navy. Lived in Virginia Beach and went to ODU. And after I got done with that, I finally got myself into a position. Actually, my, my wife, um, for our second year, we were, we were dating at the time. She bought me flight lessons for my birthday. Cool. So, yeah, she she she's a smart person, did her research and booked me with two different flight schools, you know, two different discovery flights to, for me to you know get a feel for each one. And um, from there, I went to one flight school. And I remember the, the, the guy, nice enough guy, but, you know, I went to the lesson. It was the first one we went to. And he asked me my name like three times. I'm like, come on. Yeah. What's going on here? <laughs> right. But, you know, the, the flight was fun. And then I went to and, you know, he was semi-enthusiastic about it. But then I went to this other flight school. They were called uh, Highwater Flight School. And it was a young guy, just started his flight school and super enthusiastic, you know, just wow. ecstatic, um, exactly what I was looking for in an instructor. So, yeah, I went with them and it took me a couple of years to get my license. You know, just, it's not cheap. You know, it takes, yeah. it takes money to get it done. Yeah. But, you know, hit, hit a fun small plane called a Symphony 160. So it's 160 horse, two seater. But the fun thing about it was you could take the doors off of it. Oh, so in the summer, okay. summertime, flying around Virginia Beach, the doors off. It, it was it was a good time. Yeah, um, that's so probably. interesting. You say that because I think what you're talking about that enthusiasm can make or break a situation. Like all of us, when we're looking to partner or purchase a product or a service, we want that person who's excited about their job and what they're doing and everything. And I think that carries over into how we do our job. If if we want our clients to be happy. Like we really have to be invested and I mean, I guess we can't be excited about every single trip that we do, but overall, if we're excited about our job, it comes through to the client and and that's what makes them stay. Your point, uh, enthusiasm is contagious. When you're enthusiastic about it, you know, people really pick up on that and read on it. Definitely. Very cool. Doors. I'm going to have to look up that airplane. So I, I don't recognize it, but I think that'd be super yeah. cool. You get to fly yeah. without the doors. Yeah. yeah, it's not not a whole lot, a lot of them around, but it was, it was a, a fun plane. You know, you see seven, Cessna 172s everywhere, but this one was a little different. Nice. Yeah. Very cool. Okay. So after that, you so you got your private license. Did you continue on and do more? Well, at that time, I was working for um, Hertz rental car company. I was running a local branch and just kind of flying for fun. I take my friends flying, take my wife flying. We do small trips. I don't know if you ever heard of Tangier Island out in the Chesapeake Bay. I haven't. Mm-mm. No. So it's this little small island. They have, I think it's about a 2,500 foot long runway. It's paved, but it's right on the edge of the water. They're really famous for soft shell crabs. Okay. And I love soft shell crabs. So my wife and I took off one day and, you know, Flew across from Norfolk to the eastern shore. Okay. Right along the Bay Bridge Tunnel. It's the 17-mile-long tunnel that connects Norfolk over to the eastern shore of Virginia. Okay. And then okay. from there, yeah, from there we, you know, about 30, 40 miles north, you cross over to Tanger Islands, about two miles off the coast of the eastern shore, between in the Chesapeake Bay. So we land there, and, you know, our whole mission was to get soft shore crabs here in season. So... We land, didn't know, where, hadn't been there before, didn't know where we were going to get them from. Mm-hmm. Just kind of walk around town and we we're pretty much the only people there. And the only way to get there is by ferry, ferry okay. or airplane. 
And it's the type of ferry where you can't take cars on. It's only golf carts on this little island. Okay. So we walk around and can't really find anybody. And then we went to a grocery store and asked the lady working the counter, hey, do you know where you get some soft shell crabs? She's like, yeah, let me call my friend. Okay. And she's like, okay, my friend will be here about you know, 20 minutes. Go inside and wait. So we're out there waiting on the corner. Meanwhile, the last ferries left for the day, everybody's looking at us like we're crazy because they know we're not from the island. Sure. And we're kind of, the guy walks up. It's kind of like, it feels like we're doing a drug deal for crabs on the street. <laughs> and hand him $20 in cash. He gives us a box of soft shell crabs. We hop in the plane and fly out to, you know, fly back home and cook them up that night. That's um, so cool. But, you know, just little small, small trips like that. You know, it's kind of the extent of my piloting skills career. I don't think I'll ever do the the airline industry or anything like that. It's, okay. it's scary. It's, vol- yeah, it's volatile. So it is. Yeah, it's not for everyone. No, so just fly for fun. Right. And for fun, what a cool thing that opens aviation, opens up the doors to certain really cool experiences like that. I mean, I know there's a ton of little airports that have restaurants on them and then the little fly-ins that people can go and do. And and I haven't really done any of them, but they do look like fun. And I think getting your private license, that just opens that whole world up to you. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And it definitely makes going places a lot more fun when you're flying. Yeah, oh yeah, yep. <laughs> you can put yeah. anything you want in there. I know one time we got a chance to take a 182 from Atlanta up to Minneapolis. And I was so excited because I could put all of, you know, whatever I wanted in there. And at the time I had a ferret and a dog and we put the ferret and the dog in the airplane. And I just thought, you know, that was awesome because there was no TSA that was going to say no, or I had to have the dog in a cage or anything. It was, it was great flight. Anyway. So, okay. You got your private and then you were working at Hertz and you were at Hertz for a couple of years and then you moved on to journeys. Is that where you went next? Yeah, so uh, that's a good segue. So I was working at Hertz. I like the people I work with, but uh, it, it, I didn't feel like it was a career. Once again, my wife encouraged me, you know, if you don't want to do this, this, let's try something else. And I've always been kind of not only an airplane nerd, but kind of a rock nerd. I'm always, you know, when I walk around, I'm always one of those people that's looking down. When I'm not looking at my airplanes, looking down to see what rocks I see on the ground. So I found a good geology program at University of Colorado Boulder. And um, we made the jump and went to school for geology, got my bachelor's in geology there. And, you know, I had my pilot's license, so I still wanted to fly. So I went to the local airport in Boulder and took a lesson. And, you know, financially, I, we couldn't afford for me not to work. So while I was there taking a lesson, I talked to the owner of the company. He's like, do you need any help? And he's like, sure, I could use your help. So I started working at the SBO. Nice. You know, Similar working aircraft carrier, moving airplanes, fueling airplanes, you know, just being around airplanes is fun and also gave me a discount on flying. So <laughs> win, 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 win. Um, yeah. Great place to work. I mean, the Journeys FBO, the owner was just really smart guy, down to earth, and everyone respected him. I mean, he just, I think he, he got all the respect because he gave a lot of respect and the, the flight school did really well and he, he liked my performance, so he made me the operations manager. You know, I would you know, track aircraft maintenance, make sure things are getting done like they needed to be done, make sure that all of our transient clients were taken well care of. And it, it was a really fun job, but I wanted to stay in aviation and, you know, found a job um, that, and once again, 
I like working at the flight school, but it wasn't really a career path. Sure. You know what I mean? It's, it, it was kind of a, a jumping off point. And that's what kind of led me to get a job with Spire Flight Solutions. Okay. Which is dispatching international trip planning. And that's kind of what led me to end up here with you guys. Awesome. All right. Well, it's a great yeah. background. Yeah, because yeah. Uh, it seems like we do some of all of all of that. Maybe not yeah. ramp ramp work, but tracking all sorts of everything. Yeah. Well, so here at LD Aviation, I guess we'll just chat about that a little bit. I think that's what your role is there um, is going to be in our or is in our international side of it, where we help our clients do as much of that international trip work in house. You're welcome to expand on that a little bit if you would like. For sure. So I'll I'll digress a little bit back to my time at Spire Flight Solutions. There we would some of our main clients were aircraft leasing companies, so they would lease Boeing's Airbuses, Embraer's to airlines. You know, most of the major airlines like United, Southwest, they all own their jets they fly, but a lot of the smaller airlines they lease them just like you would lease a car. Okay. So those leasing companies would reach out to Spire where I worked and say, hey, we need to get this this aircraft from the Boeing factory to India. And we would provide pilots and that's pretty much the information we get. We, we'll, get our, we'll get our special flight permit on the 18th of July. We'd like to have it in India by the, the 21st of July okay. is the kind of request we would get. So we get the aircraft. Quick, for the, those of you who haven't done yeah. India before, that's like yeah. <laughs> um, really fast. Yeah. India doesn't turn things around very quickly. Yeah, especially when you get the, the, the flight permit three days before you switch to land there. It's kind of puts, puts a challenge into it. But yeah, we, we, we would get the aircraft with performance data. We would you know get, get all that loaded into our flight playing system. And then based on that data, we'd figure out where we need to stop for fuel, what is a good place to stop for fuel, what countries we'd overfly, where we need permits for, and then you know kind of set up services for a crew along the way to make sure that you know they were comfortable and well taken care of, and then also safely. Mm-hmm. And then start applying for permits, getting handling set up, get fuel set up and get it from point A to point B. And it's one of those things, no matter how well you plan it, there's always going to be kinks. It's it's just sure. constant change. Well, it's aviation. Even, even here, it's it's constant change. It, it's fun. It's challenging. And I enjoy seeing projects through to the end like that, that, you know, they were definitely a challenge. But to see them end well is always rewarding. It is. I agree. I love that whole when you, you've got a trip, you work it, then you bring it all the way back home or perhaps like you were saying, you get it delivered and that's the end. It is. It's nice. It's like having these, you know, many, many little projects that you get to complete. Exactly. And yeah. for a customer serial LD, uh, I think sometimes people feel bad that they send us changes or, you know, oh, I want to change the airport. I got to change my times. Like, that's just part of the business, you know. This is what we. This is why we're here. What will make this happen for you? It's true. So what business aviation is all about. I mean, it's the point yeah. of having these airplanes is to do what you need to do or want to do when you want to. That's that's a great point. Yeah. Now, did I hear you were part of an airport advisory board at one point? Yeah. Um, so. That. Yeah. W- we were living in Longmont, Colorado, which is just north of the border, still in Boulder County, but 
um, not in the city of Boulder. Uh, they have a general aviation airport, 5,000 foot runway. And the city actually runs the airport, but you know, the city having run the city, all the city council has all these other responsibilities. They would have advisory boards. Um, so my wife actually served on the transportation advisory board, which would, you know, they would make recommendations to the city council to make changes for traffic patterns or issues with that. But they also had okay. airport advisory boards. So the things we would, we would meet uh, once a month to be a board meeting and we would discuss things like the master improvement plan, uh, runway projects, uh, drainage projects, uh, building new hangars, things like that. And of course, noise abatement, noise issues, that, that's always an issue with any airport. Yep. And we would discuss them. Um, almost everyone on the board would, has had an aviation background. I think there was two people that were more like a lawyer kind of business background just to kind of okay. make sure the make sure the airplane nerd stayed, stayed, in, stayed on track. <laughs> yes, that would make <laughs> um, sense. <laughs> and, you know, we discussed the issues and make re- recommendations to city council you know, how, how we think they should proceed and what makes the most logical choice based on our point of views. Very cool. That's interesting. Yeah. Was there any like bigger projects that you either got pushed through or stopped or, you know, sometimes noise abatement can really hamper the operations at, a, at an airport, but anything yeah. like that? Well, there, there was a, a really big noise complaint issue as a group of people that there was a there still is a jump plane operator there. They, they do skydiving and they were running a twin otter. Okay. So, you know, I can understand, understand their pain. It, I could hear from my house where I live, but I like airplanes, but I can understand where it wasn't pleasant for them. But back to your original question was, you know, projects. We, they wanted most of the airport development hangars and things like that were all on the east side of the airport. When there was a whole west side of the airport where there was room for growth, so we helped develop a plan to you know get the proper infrastructure in there to get that going. And now there's hangars and additional space for people to park their planes at the airport. Nice. Oh, I'd love yeah. to see any you know airports expanding. I I get the noise piece of it, but yeah. anything to you know make aviation bigger is yeah pretty much anything is that is a is cool. So that's that's very interesting. Okay. Well, how about I switch over to a little maybe less aviation side and let's start off with, uh, do you have a favorite book or something you read recently that you'd like or would recommend? Well, the most recent book I read was an aviation book. So okay. uh, called Scott Works and it's about the Lockheed Martin super secret aircraft development program. So they develop the U-2 spy plane, the SR-71 Blackbird, the stealth fighter. And the book was written by the guy that he was a super smart engineer that knew how to solve. His main expertise was like the airflow engine problems. And he came up with some really interesting solutions to, you know, make these airplanes work and fly like they were supposed to. And really unique point of view from the inside of super secret, but super fun you know, he worked, for, you know, a lot of people know the name Kelly Johnson. He was the guy that started Skunk Works and was running it. He was kind of, Kelly Johnson directly hired him and ended up being his understudy. And this guy ended up, you know, running the Skunk Works in the, in the end. But you read about, you know, one, one story that really sticks out to me is when they were testing the, the 
F-117 stealth fighter. Uh-huh. So to test it, they put these radar guys in a trailer out in one of these test ranges in Nevada. And Helm and like the security guard guy stood outside the trailer while these radar guys inside the trailer would try to track it as it approached. And, you know, they had a chase plane you know, behind this stealth fighter to make, you know, just to, it was a test plane at the time. So they had a chase plane and, you know, he said he saw the stealth fighter fly over and a couple seconds later, you could hear the, the guys inside the trailer cheering because they thought they were tracking the F-117, but it, actually they were chasing, check or tracking the chase plane. And he said the look on the security guard's face, like was just an utter disbelief of what he just saw fly over. Because okay? could you imagine, wow. you know, every plane you've seen up to that point was just a, you know, round, smooth line. Yeah. You know, plane that looks like it to fly, to see this little triangle fly over that said the guy was was another shock. I bet. That'd be super yeah. cool. What if what a cool thing to be part of a project like that. Yeah, yeah. And for sure. Oh, that's great. But I also hear that you are um, a big traveler. Any place you'd like to travel in specific? I want to see everything everywhere. <laughs> um, All right. Yeah, I've been, my wife and I have been pretty lucky. We've done some pretty interesting trips. A couple notable ones. We actually got to go to Cuba for a Ooh. little over a week and a half. Yeah, that we went with a, we had to do it like a people to people program visa to, okay. to go there, but fantastic trip. Did a few weeks in Southeast Asia, did Vietnam, which not a lot of people get to go to. I've heard that's great. Yeah. And it was amazing. It's just such nice people. Like it, we would, we did this one tour on bikes through a countryside. And as we were biking through, you know, we stuck out. They don't see a lot of of Americans there, but we ran by these kids in the school. Hello, hello. Oh, cool. Yeah, it was really fun experience. And we've done um, like Italy, but we really want to go back and do France wine country. I went to France when I was in the Navy. My wife did France as a teenager on her own, but we haven't been there together yet. Okay. And that's going to, I think going to be our next big one is we're going to go there. Yeah, pick pick, pick a, a region and just stick with it and explore it. Yeah, look all over it. Yeah. Oh, that yeah. sounds great. And wine tasting, yeah. that definitely yep. be a good piece of it as well. For sure. <laughs> yeah, I love I love traveling. I, I, In fact, I don't even know very many aviation people who don't like traveling. I think those two things oftentimes go hand in hand. It's a sense of adventure. Yeah, it is. It is. So. Well, how about throughout your career and, and your life, there have you ever faced any challenges that you've overcome and that you'd like to tell us about? It's a tough question to answer. Yeah, that's hard. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, at, all in hindsight, when you get past it, you kind of forget about all the bad stuff. Um, or maybe some successes, maybe something in your career along the way that you just are, it was just like awesome. Okay. Well, I think one of the biggest challenges I've had recently was a couple of years ago was getting my dispatch license. I think as we get older, it gets harder and harder to, to to learn new things, you know, yeah. it's hard to teach old, old dog new tricks, cliche. And it was a condensed, not condensed, but accelerated course where they're just kind of throwing everything at you, three classes a week, remote. And then to finish it up, it was two weeks, eight hours a day, in-person classroom training. And that was a really big challenge for me to keep, I had a full-time job. Still had honeydew list to do. Yeah. You know, it's still full life, but to 
take that on and, and actually earn that certificate was was a pretty pretty good feeling and great. I'm pretty happy with it. I can't imagine having to sit still for eight hours a day for two weeks in a row. Like I would really struggle with that as well. Yeah. But now that you've got that dispatch license, do you find that that's helped you in your career? Was it worth getting? Absolutely. I got it while I was working at Spire and we did a lot of flight planning there and it helped me. Yeah, I did flight planning before I got my dispatch license, but getting my dispatch license really helped me look for um, things that might go wrong, you know, to try to mitigate those and really help me understand aircraft performance, fuel burns, climb descent profiles, routing, planning, all those things go into it. And it was, it really helped me with what I did then and what I do now. Awesome. Yeah. I think hands down to help me throughout my career is definitely worth, worth it. And I, I like all those technical pieces of it too. So how about any, uh, recommendations or advice that you might give to somebody coming into this industry, whether they're young or not young. I mean, maybe they want to do a second career or maybe they're right out of high school. Yeah, for sure. Um, in this industry, I relied heavily on my colleagues, reach out to the people, you know, ask them questions. We're always happy to help. And that's to me, one of the, the greatest resources you can have as a new employee or somebody new to aviation is talk to the people around you in it and, they're going to be happy to help you. Yep, I totally agree. Well, on that point, if somebody who is listening to the podcast would like to get a hold of you and maybe ask you some questions about your, um, you know, your path and everything, how would we get a hold of you? Sure. Um, so probably the easiest way is my email here at LD Aviation. It's pretty easy. Ryan at LD Aviation. And then if you search on Ryan Thompson on LinkedIn, Ryan Thompson Aviation, LD Aviation. I'll make sure I get that tag on my profile and you should be able to find me that way too. Okay. Awesome. 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 Well, Ryan, it's really been great to get to know you more. Again, we're so excited to have you on the LD Aviation team. We can't wait to see where that's going to bring the whole company. You're really an integral piece of, of our team. So thank you very much for your time here today, as well as every day <laughs> uh, doing the regular work. So I will close it up with that. And again, thanks very much, Ryan. Thank you, Lizzie. I appreciate your time. You bet. Thank you for listening. Please stay tuned for more episodes and check out our website for up and coming podcasts. This has been a production of the Business Aviation Collective sponsored by LD Aviation. 